Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. Dragnet. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. We offer you Escape. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. The Jack Benny Program. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. Countdown for blastoff. X minus one. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari. Welcome to episode six of Retro Radio Theater, featuring a full hour of programming from the golden age of radio. Follow us wherever you listen to podcasts or visit us on SeniorResource.com, your number one source for retirement planning, caregiving tips, and living your best. This time, it's two detective radio episodes, Philip Marlowe and Richard Diamond. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me. Listen now. Search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform. Raymond Chandler, creator of the celebrated Philip Marlowe novels, had originally wanted to approve the scripts for the radio adaptation of his creation. After the success of the Marlowe movies, Chandler knew the detective was a surefire winner. But in the end, he had very little involvement with the radio program. Van Heflin was the first actor to portray the cynical sleuth in a series that debuted in 1947, a scheduled summer replacement for Bob Hope's radio show. Marlowe returned to the airwaves in the fall of 1948, played by Gerald Moore. The Broadway actor's baritone voice was perfect for the fictional Los Angeles detective, and Moore attempted to play him as a packed personality who would even rough up a street urchin to get information. Marlowe was a lone wolf who hired himself out to anyone seeking his services. Philip Carey played Marlowe in an ABC TV series, and Powers Booth portrayed the celebrated detective in a top-notch HBO series, that ran from 1983 to 1986. This time, Marlowe is hired to end a blackmail plot. Here's The Ebony Link, starring Gerald Moore, The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, from May 28, 1949. Now listen to me, and never forget it. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gut of the prison or the grave. There's no other end, but they never learn. It was ugly from the start this time. Vicious blackmail that mushroomed into murder and all because a wild artist on a hilltop 
A man in a wheelchair and a redhead manicurist were held too tight together by one small ebony link. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of mystery, comes his most famous character and crime's most deadly enemy as we present The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Ebony Link. I'd spent a dismal day tracking down another wise guy who thought he could see fast money over the sights of a 45. But it ended up like they all do. He was flat on his face in an alley, his life dripping into a sewer was what he deserved, and the only feeling I got from it was that I wanted a bath bad. So I went home, but when I stepped out of the elevator and started down the hall, I knew I'd have to postpone it, because leaning on my doorbell was a redhead who looked very good from a distance, but she lost ground with every step I took, because the closer I got, the more I saw of a mouth shaped by indecision, of eyes that were nothing but mascarade caginess and shallow green. And flashy clothes that carry the kind of bargain basement label you can't tear off. Good evening. Looking for me? Yeah, you're a private detective named Marlowe. I am. Come on in. Have a chair, Miss... Uh, uh, Johnson, thanks. What's your difficulty, Miss Johnson? Oh, it's not me. It's my sister up in Santa Barbara. Can you go there right away, 812 Seaview Road? Uh, maybe you should tell me what it's all about, huh? Well, uh, she loaned a gentleman friend of hers some money. Okay, the... okay. That's enough of the sister act, baby. What's the gag? Gag? I, I don't think I understand. Number one, there's no 812 on Seaview Road. It runs into the ocean at the 600 block. I know. I used to live there. But, but number I... two, when picking a phony name, Johnson is the second most popular in the book. Yeah, but And I... number three, baby, me hiring out as a patsy of any kind is lousy for my business. So you better... Stick him up. Oh, no. I mean it. And I'll shoot if you follow me. Okay, kid. Just don't slam the door on your way out. She backed out fast, pulling the door closed as she went. They gave her five seconds head start and then looked in time to see the top of her hat disappearing down the stairs. But before I could follow her, the elevator gate slid open and a dapper man with a square face I'd seen somewhere before hailed me. Certainly glad I found you, sir. Remember me? Ramsey, Mr. Ivan Pack's chauffeur. Oh, yeah. He wants to see you, sir. Says it's very urgent. Yeah, but I... Well... Okay, Ramsey. Where's Mr. Pack now? Waiting downstairs in the car, sir. I'll oh. show you. We tried your office first, but it was locked. We were afraid you might have gone out of town. You aren't going, I hope. Uh, no, no, but it was close. By the way, how is Mr. Pack these days? Still confined to his wheelchair? Yes, sir. But he gets around fairly well with me to help him, of course. Mm -hmm. What's the matter, Mr. Marlowe? Looking for someone? Not exactly, Ramsey. Chances are she ducked out the back way and still running. Oh, I beg your pardon, sir. This way, Mr. Marlowe. Here we are. Oh. Hello, Ivan. Get in, Marlowe. Thank goodness we found you. Well, just, just drive around the block, Ramsey. Yes, sir. He said it was urgent. Is it really that bad? Yes, it is. Roll up the glass there, Marlowe. It's best if even Ramsey doesn't hear this. Okay. That's it. Well, Marlowe, I'm being blackmailed again. Huh? It happened six months ago for 10000 This time it's 50000 Brother. What have they got on you, Ivan? What's the lever? The lever is that I happen to love my wife, Leona that I happen to feel it's my duty as a husband to protect her reputation and shield her from heartbreak. I still don't get it. Marlowe, I tell you this because you're the only person I can trust. Leona spent a year in prison back east when she was a kid, but that's nothing to be ashamed of all your life. I know, I know. Take it easy. I'm, I'm sorry. Bluntly, 
I can't afford to throw that much money away. On the other hand, if I don't pay, they threaten to expose Leona as a jailbird. She couldn't stand that, Marla. Mm -hmm. I know her. She ran away the first time this happened. She said she wouldn't be that kind of burden to me. If she finds out about this new demand, she may do something even more desperate. Blackmail's always tough. Who's doing it? I don't know. It's more, all we have to go on is this letter. Let's see. Here. It's got an L.A. postmark. The stationery is a high grade that doesn't match that cheap envelope. Mm -hmm. The top of the page has been cut off, see? Yeah. Strange backhand, too, huh? Hey, hey, this demands a payoff by 12.30 tonight. Why didn't you give me more time? I just got the letter this afternoon. Yeah. Look, Marlowe, I realize what you're up against. Try, try, will you? Find out who wrote that letter. I have two alternatives. Pay him, kill him. Well, I'm no killer. I'll pay if I have to. But maybe, with luck and your help, we can find a soft spot in his armor. What do you say? Well, I'll try. Don't take any bets, Ivan. Ivan said he'd be in his office all night, then dropped me off at home where I got in my own car, pulled around a big gray sedan in the driveway, and hauled a small sample of the blackmail stationery into the police lab. There I got a break. The boys had it classified in 30 minutes, and after another 30, handed me the names of two business houses and 12 hotels in the city that used it too many to check in the time allowed, so I called Ivan Pack and started down the list. He stopped me at the fourth hotel, which was the Beverly Crest, with the word that his wife, Leona, had spent a lot of time and money shopping in the hotel's exclusive arcade. So I drove out to the Beverly Crest, watching a big gray sedan in my rearview mirror most of the way. But in the hotel, I killed another hour drawing blanks, even at the writing room blotters. Until, on the way out, I got another break. The beauty shop was closing for the night, and inside, slipping a coat over her manicurist uniform, was a redhead. The same redhead who had tried to sack-track me to Santa Barbara. I followed her out of the hotel, and when she got around to the back, I stopped her. What do you want? I got curious about your sister, sister. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have a sister, and I never saw you before in my That's life. That's wishful thinking, baby. You can talk here or over a desk at police headquarters, but you're going to talk. Now, which is it? Wait a minute. No cops. All right. Okay, Marlo, sure. I'll talk. I got a sister in Santa Barbara, all right. She's a mermaid. She comes up once a year to fish for seagulls, and she wanted you to bait the hook. Come on, come on. Straighten it out. You're smack in the middle of a lot of trouble, and it's getting deeper fast. Believe no, me. No, I'm not, wise guy. You're in the middle. In fact, you got trouble right behind you. Hey! By the time I got untangled from the ash cans, all I could see was the back of a big gray sedan taking a corner so fast, I only caught the last three numbers of his tag. 440. But as I stood up and dusted myself off, I saw something black and shiny. It was a five-sided ebony cufflink. I dropped it in my pocket as I went inside the hotel again. A fiver to a bellhop got me the manicurist's real name, Rhea Fleming. But even a ten-spot failed to raise her address, so I called my client again tried Rhea's name on him. When that missed, I asked permission to go and see Leona about it. That got me 60 seconds of argument, ten of dead silence, and finally a very reluctant okay from Ivan. Twenty minutes later, I pulled up at 94 Camden Drive, in front of a house sprawling in Spanish that was home to Ivan and Leona Pack, and the delicate dark girl with the shy gray eyes who answered the door was Leona herself. Yes? I'm uh, Philip Marlowe from the Sequoia Credit Adjusters, Mrs. Pack. I'm told you patronize a manicurist, Miss Rhea Fleming at the Beverly Crest Hotel. Why, yes, occasionally. Is, is anything wrong? Oh, no, no, nothing serious at all. It, May I come in? Oh, of course. I'd like to ask you a few questions about Miss Fleming. Well, I, I really don't know her very well. Oh, I understand that. 
But you might know where she lives, for instance, huh? Well, I did happen to drop her off one evening oh? at the corner of Sunset and Mariposa, I think. Oh, won't you sit down, Mr. Oh, Martin? thanks. Uh, where did she live before she came to Los Angeles? Well, I, I have no idea. You don't, huh? Well, do you happen to know if she writes in a heavy angular backhand? A heavy... A- mm-hmm. Mr. Marlowe, may I see your credentials? Why, of course, if you wish. No, don't bother. It's happened again, hasn't it? Ivan's received another letter, and I'm... Who are you, really? Private detective working for Ivan. Oh, that's a cheap trick, I admit it. But we wanted to keep this from you, Leona. I won't let it happen, Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, listen to me. Ivan's doing everything possible to stop this business. Now, give us a chance. You're running away now. It would be the worst thing you could do to it. That's so terribly unfair, Marlowe. We're on your side. Don't you understand that? And you're in a position to help us, if you will. Marlowe, is it... Is it Rhea Fleming? Well, she's in on it, but not alone. She doesn't have the brains. But whoever is behind it belongs to this ebony cufflink. <coughs> Ever see it before, Leona? Think hard. No. No, I haven't. Oh, it's too bad. Well, do you happen to know anybody who drives a big gray sedan? The, the license number ends in 440. Well, there, that might be Bruce Morachek. Morachek, who's he? An artist I've been hired to do a portrait of me. Mm-hmm. Pictures and finished yet, it may never be. Bruce is too temperamental and exacting, but... Why did you ask about him, Marlowe? Yeah, because I've been tailed by a gray sedan since I first started in this mess. Oh, it couldn't be, Bruce. I'm sure of that. Now, we'll see. And, Leona, until you hear from me again, promise you won't do anything rash, huh? Where are you going now, Marlowe? Put some pressure on Rhea Fleming. Her character has all the sterling qualities of mud pie, and I think she'll crack just as easily. So long, Leona. I'll call you. In spite of what Leona had said, I still thought there might be more to Bruce Morachek than ever got on canvas. When I was out of the house and halfway to my car, I knew I'd have a chance to find out because across the street, a door flew open on a big gray sedan. Better than six feet of swarthy but handsome man clambered out and rushed toward me. It wasn't the lock of black wavy hair that dangled dashingly over one eye, but the fact that his hands were curled into very large fists. It gave me a definite demorous feeling about him, and the closer he got, the more certain I was that I'd have to let him have it first. When he got within reach, I did just that. Hi! And while you're taking that one over, chum, try this. How long have you had on that polo shirt? Speak up. All day. Confound you. But you don't have to knock me down to find that out, you idiot. No, it was faster that way, and I'm not through yet. You've been tagging me all night, and I don't like it. How come? You wouldn't understand. Try me. Come on. I haven't got all much time. All right, all right. Until yesterday, I was working on a portrait of Mrs. Pack. Yeah? She's an exquisite subject, but I, I quit because it, it became impossible. Mm-hmm. She's being so upset by something or someone, she doesn't even look like the same person from one day to the next. And that's supposed to explain why you've been tailing me all over town? I told you you wouldn't understand. A portrait artist is not only a painter. He isn't, huh? He must be a psychologist, a doctor, mm. even even a detective, if necessary, when his subject's beauty is being destroyed before his eyes. Oh, come on. It's true. Hey. So I followed Mr. Peck to you and you to the Beverly Crest Hotel because you are up to something. I want to know what it is. Mm-hmm. Naturally, it wasn't you who put the slug on me at the hotel, huh? The what? The slug. Slug. Ah, no, no, mm. no. I saw you walk around to the back, but... The time I got there, a car was driving off. I thought you were in it, so I tried to follow, but I lost it. Yeah? And then I came up here. Well, let me tell you something, Morachek, for your own good and your subjects. If you're on the level, go home. And if you're not on the level, brother, you better get out of town while you still can. Good night! I looked back just before I turned the corner, and Morachek was still standing where I'd left him. So I drove out to Sunset and down to Mariposa, where I parked and started walking. 
And while it was more than an hour ringing doorbells, interviewing kids, husbands, and homemakers, and running down false leads before I finally found the mailbox labeled Rhea Fleming, Rear, in a brown stucco two blocks south. I hacked my way through the underbrush hugging the front house to a converted guest cottage in the back numbered 8811. I didn't bother to knock, I just walked in. I scream louder. Who's the boyfriend you're expecting, Rhea? I don't have a boyfriend. It wasn't your grandfather that piled me up at the hotel tonight, baby. It's your last chance. Who was it? I don't seem to recall the incident you refer to, Marlowe. Now listen, jerk. You're in a rotten blackmailing game right up to your earrings. And what's more, your extortion letter went through the mails. You get that? That's a federal rap. You can't beat it. I'm going to see that you don't because I'm sick and tired of fooling with you. You're too stupid to realize when you're licked. Federal rap. I, I didn't know that, Marlowe. Who are you calling? Cops, of course. I'm through. I'm putting you out of circulation right now. No, wait. Don't do that. I, I'll tell you who's with me. Okay. It's... No, I can't. Rhea, come back here, you fool. No, 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 Charlie. Rhea. Holy smoke. Rhea. Rhea, who was it? Who did this? Gee, I... I didn't figure it'd go... This far. I just didn't realize. I... No, I guess you didn't, baby. One down and one to go. In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first... If you like the weather here, cloudy with threats, torrid with action, showers of trouble later tonight and tomorrow, you'll find more of the same on Sundays when Danny Clover and Sam Spade go into action. Danny Clover is the thoroughly human, fast-thinking detective of Broadway is My Beat. And Sam Spade is the... well, who else but the Sam Spade of Dashiell Hammett's fertile, ingenious brain. On most of these same CBS stations tomorrow, you'll find Danny Clover prowling the Great White Way late in the afternoon and Sam Spade on the hunt in the evening. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Ebony Link. As Rhea Fleming's face relaxed in death, the gaping, frightened people who make up every street scene began to gather. And as each newcomer timidly edged forward and then caught his breath at the sight of the dead girl, and in a small, tight voice asked whoever was standing next to him what had happened, only one thought kept running through my mind. Leona's blackmailer and the murderer of Rhea were one and the same. So leaving my card with an old, toothless biddy who demanded to know why I was running away before the police arrived, I piled into my car and headed for Ivan Pack's office on La Brea. I pulled to a stop just as the chauffeur named Ramsey darted out of the building and into the family limousine, parked at the curb, and pulled away fast. But since Pack was the man I wanted to see, I dismissed the thought of a not-so-merry chase, went to the door, and knocked. Five minutes went by before my client wheeled himself out of an inner cubbyhole and opened up. And another five while I brought him up to date, blow by blow, the redhead's violent death included. Murdered Marlowe? Yeah. For my money, the noose fits whoever she's working for, who is also the party that dropped me in the alley behind the Beverly Crest Hotel and this ebony cufflink and doing it. Ever see it before? Why, no, no, I haven't. You sure, Ivan? Sure it wasn't once holding a lot of fancy shirt together for one Mr. Morochek, maybe? Bruce? Well, why him, Marlowe? Because he's been tagging me all night. Say, tell me, Ivan, how well do you know him? 
I met him about six or seven months ago at my club. I, I don't remember who introduced us. Yeah, well, that fits. The blackmail started just about that time. Now, look, just to make it a little tighter all the way around, you can't recall who recommended him to you as just the right man to paint Leona's picture, can you? No, I can't. Uh-huh. But on the other hand, Marlowe, neither can I recall having heard anything bad about him. No. Now, look, you say he's been following you all night. Close enough to do a time step. What are you getting at? Just this. Was he around the place where the girl was killed? Well, to my knowledge, no. But that shouldn't mean too much because the murder happened after we had our little run-in. So he'd naturally be careful about my seeing him. Well... Besides, Ivan, he was going to commit murder, so it's a cinch you'd arrive and depart from 8811 Mariposa without fanfare. Mariposa? 8811 Mariposa, Marlowe? Yeah. But that's the address I just saw on a slip of paper in Ramsey's desk. There was a phone number, too. Wait a minute. Your chauffeur's Rhea Fleming's address? Yes. Here, get hold of my wheelchair. It's that far desk there, just inside that partition. You know, Ivan, when I pulled up outside here, I saw Ramsey leave. You know where he was going? Yes, he was going to dinner. Hmm. Unless he hasn't eaten in five years, I don't think that's where he was going. He lurched from the curb like it was on fire. Here you are, Marlowe. The top drawer on the right. Toward the back. I see it. Yeah. 8811 Mariposa, all right. Phone number and nothing else except... Except this. What did you find, Marlowe? A cufflink, Ivan. Twin to the one in my pocket. And maybe a murderer who isn't named Marachek. You mean Ramsey? Yeah. Oh, no, no. That couldn't be. Why not? Ramsey's been here with me for the past two hours. So you mustn't discount Moracek or anyone else just because of this cufflink and the address. Well, in that case, no. But I can include Ramsey along with the late Miss Fleming as at least one accomplice on what's fast getting to be a very elaborate setup. Ivan, do you know where Moracek lives? Yes, at his studio, Lookout Mountain Road, mm-hmm. just off Laurel Canyon Boulevard. Laurel Canyon. Well, I don't know the exact address, but you ought to be able to get that from Leona. Yeah. Well, I'll get in touch with you later, Ivan. Marlowe, Leona. Now, listen hard. Yeah. Did Bruce Marachek come up to see you after I left? Yes, he did. What did he say? Well, only that he'd collided with you on the stairs and that he wanted to know who you were, what mm-hmm. business you had with me. Did you tell him? Of course not. I wouldn't tell anybody anything about this. He didn't like that, huh? No, as a matter of fact, that's the reason he went home. Right away? Within five minutes. Yeah. He said he was going back to his studio and he'd be there all night if I needed any protection. But why? Is it because of something you found out at Rhea's place? No, it runs the other way. It's what I didn't find out. She was murdered, Leona. She was... Whoever's blackmailing you, I'm positive. But whether or not that's Marachek, I don't know yet. Now, look, what's the number of his place on Lookout Mountain Road, Leona? Come on, fast. Oh, 173. 173. But Thank you, you and be... goodbye. I was 20 minutes wriggling through the thick Hollywood traffic to Laurel Canyon, then another 10 climbing Lookout Mountain Road, which was an abrupt spiral of macadam that belonged in the Alps. So when I parked away from the bay window with Ruth, that was numbered 173 started up through the junior jungle that led to the front door, it was exactly 10 o'clock. And considering the zest of my last meeting with the artist, a good time for me to be careful. So when I knocked on the heavy oak that showed splashes of yellow at the threshold, I did it with the barrel of my 38. When I got no answer, I tried again, louder. It was then that Marachek replied, but not as I had expected, because he was behind me. And his greeting was a fist the size of a cannonball coming at the side of my head fast. <coughs> and now, Marlo, I'll... Take your gun here. And if I have to use it, I will. No doubt. It worked before. Huh? What are you talking about? Come on, Buster. Get off it. You act like a paint. Let's not waste each other's time. All right. Then inside, Marlowe, where we can get to the point faster than in privacy. 
Go on. All right. The door is not locked, detective. I don't know what you want here, but I'm going to find out, believe me. You can skip the thumbscrews, Rembrandt. I'll make it very plain for you. I want to know why you think you can get away with a doubleheader like blackmailing Leona and murdering your own accomplice. Any comment? Yes, you're either stupid or a raving maniac, Now, listen, Mark. No, Morichek. no, you listen to me. Leona Peck is a good friend of mine, Marlowe. I'm very fond of her. I'm not going to stand here and be accused of blackmailing her. And I suppose that talk of murder at 8811 Mariposa also offends, huh? It does. And until you mentioned it, Marlowe, I didn't even know Leona's trouble was blackmail. And as for a murder at that something other than Mariposa, I have been here painting since I last saw you. Which who will swear to? Nobody. Ah. But if you will step over here, you can see that this canvas is fresh, that the paint is still... It was my chance. The second he got in front of his canvas, he forgot he was holding my thirty-eight in his hand. And as he talked, he pointed with a barrel like it was a paintbrush. When I was close to him and my right foot was against one leg of the easel, the time was right. Are you satisfied? Not quite! Mr. Motorchick! Now, since I'll also use this gun if I have to, get up! Stand over there against that wall! Come on! Gonna get a chance to tell that story again, Bruce boy, but this time to the police. And I. Hey, hey, Marachek. What? That painting there. That's Leona, right? Huh? Of course that's Leona. Does it look like a battleship? No comment. But also, Marachek, it looks like a lot more, and by that I mean the answer to who's both the blackmailer of Leona and Rhea Fleming's killer. Now I think I know. Apologies and farewell, Buster. You're nothing worse than a sucker. Uh, but, but Marlo, I don't understand. Where are you going? To Leona's place. Friend Ramsey is due there at the moment, and that may mean murder again. So long, Rembrandt. Once I was off the mountain, back onto Laurel Canyon, then over to Sunset, and pointed toward Beverly Hills and Leona's house on Camden Drive. I kept my right foot heavy on the accelerator, and my mind working just as fast. Because no matter which way I added things, I was still basing a lot on a little. And a few important points shy of figuring the whole deal. And five minutes later, when I was parked and walking toward the door of number 94, nothing was any clearer. But then, it didn't seem to matter because... When I glanced in a side window as I reached for the doorbell, I saw Leona sitting alone on the edge of the couch like it was going to blow up any minute. Her face, which was frozen in the half-crazed expression of the condemned man watching his executioner sharpen an axe told me that Brother Ramsey was already present and probably out of my view with at least a gun in his hand. But since I'd gone this far in what I knew to be a very sorry case, I decided to play a chin out and hand tight over 38 in pocket. Who is it? It's me, Leona Marlowe. Oh, one minute, Marlowe. I, I look a sight. Yeah, not a bad one, though. <laughs> Alone? Uh, yes. Yes, come in, won't you? I've been expecting you. Yeah. Well, I just left Mora check, Leona. I was wrong about him being your blackmailer, I mean. Of course you were. That's mm. what I tried to tell you on the phone, Phil. What finally convinced you? A picture. Uh, you mind if I sit down? I've been doing a lot of running around tonight. Oh, of course. Mm. What picture, Phil? Hmm? Oh, the one he did of you. I can't say much for it, though. No, it isn't too good, is it? Mm-mm. But... How to tell me the boy genius, wasn't it? Yes, I'm interested. Oh, you should be, Leona. It was a blouse you had on, remember? A white one with cufflinks. Cufflinks? Mm-hmm. Ebony ones, like this. The one I showed you when I was here earlier. One you said you didn't recognize. The one out of the set you must have given Ramsey as a present after Bruce Morachek was through painting your picture. 
The one that says the blackmailer of Mr. Ivan Pack is you, Mrs. Ivan Pack. No. And you killed Rhea Fleming, too. No, no, you're wrong, Marlowe. Why would I kill Rhea? For the same reason you denied recognizing the cufflink. You didn't want me to get to Ramsey, so you killed Rhea before she could name him when I I was at the cottage. And then you still couldn't get me to Ramsey because if I pressured him enough, I'd have to find out his game was cutting in on you because he knew you were blackmailing yourself. I heard enough. You're smart, Marlowe, very smart. But how do you think you're going to prove all this? How? Answer me! All right. Ramsey figured you killed his girlfriend, Rhea. We sent him flying up here from no. Ivan's office. No, to demand a bigger cut. Or maybe all of the 50 grand. I don't now know Now that you've graduated from blackmail and murder, I've been waiting and watching you're him wrong, to make a move. You're wrong, Marlowe, you're wrong! But since he hasn't, Leona, he must be dead. No. Here, in this no, house, probably no. in this room. And that, no, Mrs. Pack, you won't not. be able to explain away. Now, where is he? Where, Leona? No. He... He's there, Marlowe. Behind the couch. I called Ivan Pack and told him he wouldn't have to pay the blackmail money and why. There was a long silence before he said goodbye and I went to police headquarters where an uncomfortable hour and a half went by before homicide was satisfied and Leona had signed a complete confession. So by the time I got over to my client's office on La Brea, where I knew I had to go, it was almost 12.30, the hour originally set for the payoff. When I was inside and sitting next to the man in the wheelchair whose watered eyes never left my face, it was exactly that, straight up and down. A little clock in the corner of the room said so. Well, Marlowe, I just saved $50,000, didn't I? Maybe a little more than that, Ivan. Maybe unhappiness for years to come, huh? Yes, yes, I suppose so. Leona wanted two things, Ivan. Your dough and Bruce Morachek. She didn't get either one. The ten grand you paid the first time and the money she was going to get tonight would have be a bait. <laughs> catch a starving artist. But I was wrong about him. He wasn't interested, except as an artist. And your chauffeur and your wife's manicurist knew enough between them to try to get a piece of that dough for themselves. Yes, I, I owe you a lot, Marla. Oh. After all, I just said I saved $50,000, didn't I? Even though I lost a wife. Good night, Marlowe. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Sure. Night, Evan. Outside, the night air was clear, almost cold. It felt good against my face, so when I got to where my car was parked, I didn't get in right away, but stood next to it. Thought about Ivan Pack, the two people he trusted most his wife and his chauffeur. One already dead, the other soon would be. I reached into my pocket for a cigarette and came out and stayed with a cufflink. The ebony cufflink. Jet black, clear through. I dropped it into the gutter where it belonged, then got into my car and went home. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, created by Raymond Chandler, star Gerald Moore, and are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Script is by Mel Dinelli, Robert Mitchell, and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Edgar Barrier, Gene Bates, Larry Dobkin, Georgia Ellis, and Ron Brogan. The special music is by Richard O'Rant. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... I was hired to find a thief, and I did. A thousand miles from home. 
But first I found a hammy Othello, a lush with a luger, and a fresh corpse in the closet. All because the only woman in sight wouldn't play fair. There's gold in them trills when just a little bit later tonight, Sing It Again comes along, offering a grand prize of $52,000 to some lucky CBS listener. Phone calls will be going out to listeners from coast to coast asking for answers to the merry, tuneful riddle songs, which, if you solve one correctly, gives you a chance at the fabulous Phantom Voice Award. Tonight, it's 27,000 in wonderful prizes if you can tell who the Phantom is, plus 25,000 in cash if you can answer one more question about him. So stay tuned to CBS for Sing It Again, which comes along later tonight, and for Gangbusters, which follows immediately over most of these same CBS network stations. This is Roy Rowan speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's The Adventures of Philip Marlowe with The Ebony Link, starring Gerald Moore from May 28, 1949. Also in the cast, Edgar Barrier, Gene Bates... Georgia Ellis, and Lawrence Dobkin is heard over CBS. We have more than 100,000 classic radio episodes under license from the owners and estates and are provided the master recordings. Through special arrangement with the rights holders, these radio episodes are heard on this podcast and sent to members of the Classic Radio Club. Support this podcast by joining the Classic Radio Club, where you'll receive 10 superior-sounding classic radio shows sent to you each month via digital download or on five CDs, along with historical liner notes. You'll receive your first 10 classic radio shows for only $1, and you can cancel at any time. To learn more about joining the Classic Radio Club, log on to ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. Or call 815-900-7535 to speak to a live operator. That's 815-900-7535. I'll have a detective adventure of Richard Diamond with Dick Powell for you after this short break. If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Lone Ranger, Sam Spade, Burns and Allen, Have Gun, Will Travel, Gangbusters, and Sherlock Holmes, become a member of the Classic Radio Club. Each month, you'll receive 10 half-hour classic radio shows along with historical liner notes. The 10 shows will be on five CDs or via digital download, whichever you prefer. You'll also receive an email every week with a digital link to the full five-hour Hollywood 360 radio show and the 30-minute Radio Rarities podcast that Carl Amari and I co host. In total, you'll receive 34 classic radio shows per month. Become a Classic Radio Club member at ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535 to speak to a live operator. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535. That's 815-900-7535. Richard Diamond, private detective, may have bounced around on three different networks in five years, 
but its creator, Blake Edwards, could be relied on to add a brilliant twist to an old genre. And it also starred Dick Powell, fresh from the movies, as Richard Diamond. The wisecracking, carefree gumshoe had an eye for a trim ankle, a penchant for getting mixed up with Underworld characters, and Smoked Camels, the brand of one of the show's sponsors. Diamond also had a fine set of vocal cords, as did Dick Powell, who started out as a professional singer, and he performed a song at the end of most broadcasts. In essence, this was a light-hearted detective series, so if you took the program too seriously, you missed most of the fun. Homicide Lieutenant Walt Levinson wore the brunt of Diamond's put-downs, and Otis Ludlam, the dim-witted desk sergeant, added more humor. Sex appeal came courtesy of the red-headed Helen Asher, Diamond's wealthy girlfriend, who always offered solace after a long day of violence. It came to radio in 1949 and lasted until 1953. In 1957, Richard Diamond, private detective, made the transition to television, starring David Jansen in the lead and produced by Powell's Television Company. For a while, the beautiful legs of Diamond's secretary were provided by Mary Tyler Moore. In this episode, a woman has been killed right after hiring Diamond to protect her. Here's the Casperi case on Richard Diamond Private Detective, starring Dick Powell, from February 2nd, 1951. This is Richard Diamond Broadcast number five, the Casperi case. It was broadcast the 2nd of February, 1951. Both this and the one just played and number three, Man with a Scar, are all repeat shows. The makers of Camel Cigarettes present Dick Powell as Richard Diamond. Private Detective. can a cigarette be? Martha Tilton knows. Ezio Pinza knows. Vaughn Monroe knows. Yes, so many stars whose voices are their fortunes know it's camels for mildness. They choose camels because they know that camels get along with their throats. Make the 30-day camel mildness test and see how mild, how flavorful, how thoroughly enjoyable a cigarette can be. Here transcribed is Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. Uh, back here behind the socks. Careful the clothesline. I thought you were a detective. Oh, it's been a rumor for some time. Do you always do laundry in the office? Only on Fridays, honey. Uh, have a seat, Miss... Uh... Caspery. Well, I'll be right with you, Miss Caspery, as soon as I ring out these, uh... <laughs> as soon as I ring them out. Go right ahead. Ah. 
Ah, there, there. Mm -hmm. All right, Miss Caspery, what can I do for you? It's Mrs. Mm -hmm. Well, now, what's it all about? My husband's going to kill me. Just frisky? Has he got a reason? I, I found out he's been stealing from his partner, and when I faced him with it, he threatened me. Has he done anything more than threaten? Last night he went out and said he'd be gone for most of the evening. I, I went to bed, and about an hour later, I thought I heard somebody start upstairs. I got frightened and put pillows in my bed to make it look like I was sleeping. Was it your husband? I hid in my dressing room and watched, and then the door opened. It was too dark to tell, but I'm sure it was Phil. He came in and had a knife, and he jabbed the pillow several times before he realized it, it wasn't a real body. Couldn't he see? What do you mean? Well, there's some things a guy remembers. Even if you slept in a diving suit, you'd have a hard time hiding them. I like lots of covers. Mm, yeah. Now, you said Phil. Is uh, your husband Phil Caspery, the gambler? Yes, he and Max Bruno are in business together. Yeah, I know. The rooftop club. An iron claw with a cover charge. This morning, Phil said he was going away on a business trip, but I don't believe him. I'm afraid he's going to try killing me again. I want you to come around about eight and protect me. Here's a hundred dollars. That should cover it. Well, thanks, thanks. We might be up late. Maybe I should bring a good book. Oh, you'll strain your eyes. I like dark rooms. She got up then and walked slowly across the room like a big cat that had just finished eating its keeper. She stopped at the door and smiled a promise. I thought how Samson must have looked with a crew cut. Around one, I stopped in at the corner of 51st and Broadway for a bite of lunch. I killed part of the afternoon at the newspaper morgue, looking up the past files of one Phil Caspery. No convictions, but a bundle of arrests. The partnership with Max Bruno had earned some big type from time to time, and it seemed that Mr. Caspery's partner, Max, was quite a favorite with the local authorities. They'd nailed him twice. The first time, Uncle Sam sent him away for missing too many March 15th. The second was when I remembered. A rookie cop caught him with a gun. The parole board said shame and sent him up for the rest of the stretch. I went back to the apartment, dressed, and by 8 o'clock, I was ringing Mrs. Caspery's doorbell. The skin of my back crawled up and sat on my head. Whoever was dying was doing it the hard way. The door was locked, so I gave it the benefit of one of my shoulders. It was one of those heavy panel jobs with a will of its own, but finally the hinges got tired and gave up. I stumbled into the living room and came up with my 38. The screams had stopped, and I knew the only reason she had given up yelling was because she'd given up living. She was sprawled on the bed, but she didn't look anything like she had that afternoon. The killer had made sure of that. He'd used a knife. And now, she just didn't look like anything. I took a quick look around, found no one, so headed for the phone on the nightstand to call homicide. He must have been standing behind the door. When I turned, he gave it to me. Oh! He used something heavy enough to split a block of cement. It caught me across the nose, and I went down like an express elevator. While I was thinking the floor looked silly, trying to be a funnel, he nailed me again. Mm. 
Oh, and this time he pushed back the ceiling and let the night in. It's easy to relax after a good beating. You just bleed a little and grow weak. When someone tries to shake you out of it, it's like trying to sober a drunk that got mulled on cleaning fluid. Come on, Rake. Let's go. Snap out of it. Oh, Come on, kid. You're a mess. Oh, I'm stuck in the confetti. Oh, we have a party or something? Yeah, it looks that way. Wake up, you're still running around with the squirrels. Oh, oh my. Take a look at that, uh, that bed, Walt. If I appear untidy, it makes up for things. We cleaned it off. Try and sit up. The ambulance will be here in a minute. Oh, get me a bat, will you? If I can find the guy who crowned me, I'll give you another customer. We got him outside, but I can't say I blame him. Who you got? Caspery. He says you knocked off his wife. Uh, what? He called us. Said he came home, found the body, and found you tiptoeing through the corpses. Yeah. Well, maybe he told you his wife came to see me today and gave out with a hundred bucks to protect her from him. No, as a matter of fact, he didn't. Well, then don't stand there on your swollen bunion, Walt. He's got me in line for a murder rap, and I don't like it. I don't blame you. Otis, bring in Mr. Caspery. Yeah, Lieutenant. Get in there, Caspery. Okay, Sergeant. Okay, take it easy. Here he is, Lieutenant. Caspery, Diamond here says he'll trade you a seat in the electric chair for his pushed-in face. I don't get it. Well, stick around, Phil. It'll catch up with you. Hold it a minute, Rick. I've had my face turned into an ad for taffy machines. I've got a right to glow. Look, why the chit-chat, Lieutenant? You've got your killer. That's what Diamond thinks. He says you fit the job. He's a dirty liar. Says your wife retained him to protect her from you. For why? She found out you were robbing your partner. You made one try for her, but you missed. You graduated, Diamond. Now you're a filthy liar. All right, Rick, lay off. Okay, but I'd like to play some more. I want some answers. Then why don't you ask his partner? You know him, Max Bruno. All right. Let's all go see Max Bruno. A prowl car on Park Avenue is as conspicuous as an outside shower at a girls' camp. A crowd of people watch Sergeant Otis herd us into the back seat. Even if you aren't guilty, you feel like you've got the Chrysler building tucked away under your coat. I waved goodbye to a good-looking blonde with a poodle, and we took off for Bruno's office. It was an old building on 6th Avenue... And a Garneth named Tony Garcia with a big bulge under his arm met us at the door. What is this, a convention? Hello, Tony. Tell Bruno I want to see him. The whole party or just you, Lieutenant? I'm enough. Sure. What's the matter, Casper? You look sick. You get tagged for speeding? You can tell, Max, it looks like he built the frame just the right size. I don't think you'll know what you're talking about. Oh, stop playing Alice in Wonderland. We want to see Bruno. I'll find out if he's in. We know how to turn a doorknob. Look out. Okay. Oh, what is this? They wouldn't wait for an introduction. Hello, Max. What do you want, Levinson? Couple of questions. You in some kind of trouble, Caspery? What do you think? What are you getting rough with me for? Oh, are you dirty double Shut cross? up. Well, what's eating you, Diamond? Well, that's a good one. Now, look. You look, Max. And you keep your mouth shut, Caspery. Not when I'm being framed. I'm going to yell my head off. Framed? Don't know nothing about it, huh, Max? I don't know what you're talking about. What is this? You framed me with that killing. Killing? Don't come on with that bitch. You know what I'm talking about. Hey, Caspery in the hall, Otis. Yes, sir. Come on, Caspery. I'll get you for this, Max. So help me. Come on, you. Will somebody tell me what's going on here? liar. I swear to you, if it's the last thing I do, I'll get you. What's happened to him? Max, you don't know? How am I supposed to know? Guess? 
Somebody just killed his wife. Tony. Yeah, boss. Wait in the hall. Yeah, boss. Caspary knocked off his wife, huh? Well, he didn't say it was Caspary. Look, Caspary's my partner. At least he was. You split? Yeah, a couple of days ago. Why? I've been checking for a couple of weeks. Caspary's been holding out on the take. How'd you find out? His wife called me and told me. Oh, really? wonder why a wife would incriminate her husband like that. Yeah, she was scared, scared stiff. She found out what he was doing, and he told her he'd kill her. So she didn't know what to do. She called me. You knew her pretty well, huh? Not too well. She figured I could give her protection. I told her to see you, Diamond. Well, now, that was uh, very nice of you, but... What did you do about Casper when you found out he was robbing you? Told him to get out, have the money back by tomorrow morning. You tell him his wife tipped you about him? Are you crazy? Of course not. Said I'd been checking on him for a long time, that the books didn't tally. And what did he say? He said he didn't do it. What do you expect him to say? Well, uh, are your books short? 200000 worth. Okay, Max, we'll be talking to you. Wife's dead, huh? About as dead as she can get. See you around. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so he told you how I'd been robbing the till. Yeah, he did. Well, let's go. What's the matter, Casper? You give it up? I'm framed. That's it. Let's go. Oh, by the way, what did you do with the murder weapon? Don't be surprised if you wake up some morning and find it sticking in your back. Get him out of here, Otis. Come on, you. Come on. <laughs> well, well, Levinson did it again. Suspect in custody. What do you do for an encore? Sleep. You want me to drop you off an emergency? You could use a new face. No, I'll grab a cab and go to the apartment and clean up. Got to see Helen later. Okay, but stay off the streets. Somebody's liable to think you're dead and bury you. Oh, that's a good one. Night. Good night. Hey, cabby. Yeah? Where to, Mac? Holy yike. What's the matter? Don't scare me like that. I got a nervous stomach. Well, they could sell your face for 60 cents a pound. Okay, so good housekeeping shuns me. 553 East 51st and step on it. What are you rolling the window down for? I want to see if it's still bleeding out. Thirty-five cents. There you are. Thanks. Let's take a ride instead. Huh? Don't move. Hey, what's going on? I told you we're going to take a ride. The gun in my back I don't recognize, but you should have worn your other head, Tony. Move. Okay, okay. What's the matter? Doesn't Max give you enough to eat? <coughs> That's because I don't think you're funny. All right, all right. You're Tony Garcia and you make people bleed. Right, boy. Hold it. Now get in the car. You're bending the suit. Get in. You drive. Okay, but I'm a better pedestrian. Where to? Washington Bridge. I don't swim any better than I drive. You won't have to. You're out for high dive and get gone. Come on, come on. Hurry it up. I thought we were going to a funeral. <laughs> That's a good What's it all about, Tony? Don't get nosy. Enjoy the ride. It's a new car. 
We rode like that. Tony sitting half-turned with a big 45 in his fist, pointing right at my stomach. I drove south across town, trying to figure it out. Max Bruno's killer getting ready for a job. Why? Why me? What did I know that could get Max Bruno in trouble? Turn here. I turned, and the Washington Bridge wasn't far away. I could see it, stretched out across the river like a long coffin lined with bright candles. I eased down on the accelerator, and by the time we reached the bridge, I was doing a good 60. Slow down! We were near the toll gate. I took my foot off the accelerator and then jammed down on the brakes as hard as I could. Before we continue with Richard Diamond, private detective, here are a few words about smoking enjoyment. You know, smoking is a day-in, day-out pleasure. We like each cigarette to taste as good as the one before. And we like the cigarette we smoke to be mild, to get along with our throats for a good long time. So it's good sense to test a cigarette over a period of time. Not just a puff of this cigarette or a sniff of that. Yes, make the sensible cigarette test, the thorough test. Smoke only camels for 30 days as you normally smoke, and you'll see how rich and flavorful camels are pack after pack. You'll see how mild camels are week after week. In a coast-to-coast test of hundreds of people who smoked only camels for 30 days, noted throat specialists reported... Not one single case of throat irritation due to smoking camels. That's real proof of cigarette mildness. Make your own camel 30-day test, the sensible test, and see for yourself why more people smoke camels than any other cigarette. How mild, how mild, how mild, how mild mild can a cigarette be? Make the camel 30-day test Smoke camels and see. And now back to Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. We had hit the bridge railing and stopped cold. The steering wheel had caught me in the stomach. I opened my mouth to make my lungs work. It was like sucking air through a bent straw. I didn't know how long I sat there before I finally made it, but a slow, dripping sound made me remember Tony and look over. He was halfway through the windshield, and the dripping wasn't a broken radiator. His life was running out all over the hood. I got out of the car before the guards got to it. I had to have time to figure the whole thing out, and I didn't want to hang around for a lot of long explanations. I walked until I lost the crowd that was collecting. I took in long breaths of fresh air until my head cleared, then spotted an empty cab heading back to town, flagged it, gave the cabbie the address of the rooftop club. I needed answers, and the best person to give them to me was Max Bruno. Read all about the Casper murder. Woman, 
Hey, boy, boy, paper. Yes, sir. Gee, what happened to your face? I shaved with a rake. Yeah? Gee, that's pretty funny. Holy. What's the matter? This picture. That's the dame was knocked off tonight. Caspery dame. Oh, so that's it. Huh? Here's a buck, thanks. Wow. Take my advice, mister. See your analyst. You'll get rid of them bells. Homicide, Lieutenant Levinson. Walt, did you get to 415 at the George Washington Bridge? Yeah, about ten minutes ago. Tony Garcia ran into the bridge railing. Some other guy with him. How'd you hear about it, Rick? Well, I was the other guy. What? Yeah, Tony was going to show me the bottom of the river. Are you nuts? Not at all, no. And have you seen the evening papers? No. Well, there's a picture of Mrs. Casperi on the front page. So what? Well, so this. The girl in the picture isn't the same girl who came into my office this afternoon. Well, who was she? I don't know. Now, wait a minute, Well, no, no, no. Don't you get it? That's why Tony was supposed to gun me tonight. No, I don't get it. Oh, Walt, somebody wanted to frame Phil Caspery. They sent a girl to my office posing as Mrs. Caspery. So I'd swear she suspected that Phil was going to kill her. When I found the wife dead, she was cut up so bad I couldn't tell the difference. Well, then why kill you? To prevent what's just happened. Get me out of the way before I saw the evening papers. Then Max Bruno was lying about Caspery taking the money. Sure. There had to be a motive, so he cooked up the story about Mrs. Caspery calling him and telling him about filling the money. Then Bruno's our man. Oh, Walt, you're such a good boy. I knew you'd get it. your hat, sir? Maybe I'd better throw it in the door first. Uh, give me a pack of camels. Yes, sir. Who's running the place for Mr. Bruno? Mr. Caspery, but he isn't in yet. <laughs> Depends on what you're talking about. How's the floor show? It's all right, if you got an imagination. Mm-hmm. You know, you better keep moving. You'll catch cold in that get-up. Oh, well, don't let it fool you. The bustle's really a hot water bottle. I went in and sat at the bar... The dance floor was in the other room, but you could see it through the long glass windows. I was sitting there trying to figure my next move when the floor show started. The usual line of cuties came out. The hat check girl was wrong. You didn't need an imagination. They were wearing just enough to make a bathing suit look like a sleeping bag. They tripped over each other getting off, and the lights went dim, and a white spot circled the piano. She came out in a green satin evening gown. I've seen grapes with looser skins. She knew what time it was. She was pretty good, too. But she was better this afternoon in my office when she told me she was Mrs. Caspery. I got up and went back to the hat check girl with a warm bustle. Maybe you need a shot. Even the old ones stick around for the last show. Honey, where can I find that singer's dressing room? I thought you looked healthy. 
Uh-uh, Mr. Bruno wouldn't like it. Well, maybe we don't let Mr. Bruno in on it. Oh, ten bucks. You'll have to shove bamboo under my nails before I talk. She told me how to find the singer's dressing room. I thanked her and gave her a pat on the... You know, it was a hot water bottle. I walked by the bar again and listened while she poured it on. I've heard singers with better voices, but this one had the difference. She went into the last few bars, and I headed for her dressing room. I wanted to get there before she did. And unless that green satin gown was a breakaway, she didn't figure for an encore. I got in and sat down to wait. It was a quick minute before she showed up. Oh, shut up, you're flat. Oh, you get out of here. Go on, get out. Now relax, baby, I got something to say. You want to listen or you want to get shoved around? You just try it. I'll get some of Max's boys to let the air out of your muscles. Open your mouth and you'll be tripping on your teeth. I... Get away from that door and sit down. Not until you get your eyes full of fingernails. You little... (gasps) Now get this. I don't like marking up dames' complexions, but you're making it easy. Who sent you up to my office? Was it Max? Why don't you ask him? He's good at answers. So was his boy, Tony. He got dead trying to figure it out. Maybe you'd like to guess. Wait a minute, Diamond. One scream from me and everybody in the joint will be in here on your back. Honey, honey, if you open your mouth, I'll shove your foot in it. Uh, if, if I tell you, do I get squared with the law? You're an accessory before the fact. I can only give you a head start. Just give me long enough to find a healthy climate. Now you're killing time. Come on, I want to know who built you up to fit Mrs. Caspery. Was it Max Bruno? All right. It was Max. Phil found out he was holding out in the gambling take. So he dissolves the partnership by killing Mrs. Caspery, making Phil the patsy. Neat, huh? Yeah, like a sack full of brains. Go on, answer it. Who is it? Open up, baby, it's me. Max, look out, Diamond's in here! Sorry, baby, but twice makes you a punching bag. I didn't want to hit her, but it was the only way to keep her tongue in. She dropped like a wet wash in an earthquake, and I jumped for the door. Max was halfway down the hall. He had a gun in his hand, and he used it. The slug threw up the wall by my ear, and before I could try my luck, he was around the corner. I thought about the hole his Luger had made, and I wondered why I was still chasing him. I turned the corner and found myself in the bandstand. Max turned fast and tried again. I was across the crowded dance floor, and the panic busted loose. What's going on here? I shoved aside a drunk who thought it was the 4th of July and went to the bar like I needed the exercise. That man's got a gun! Max was nearly to the front door when he turned around for another shot at me. He didn't see the little hat check girl standing behind him with her arms full of coats. He backed right into her, and they both went down together. Max stumbled up, tangled, and an assorted wardrobe. He squeezed first, but he was wearing too many coats. Then he missed again. I didn't miss. Max doubled up like a tired ice bag and got himself a face full of carpet. He was pretty dead. The hat check girl looked at me for a minute and leaned over to Max. She said something that endeared her to me forever. Check your gun, Mr. Bruno. Dick Powell will return in just a minute. What cigarette do you smoke, doctor? That question was asked of doctors in every branch of medicine, doctors in all parts of the country. 
In repeated surveys, the brand named most is Camel. Yes, according to these surveys, more doctors smoke Camels than any other cigarette. Camel's costly tobaccos are properly aged and expertly blended for your smoking enjoyment. Make the sensible cigarette test, the 30-day Camel test, and see how enjoyable a cigarette can be. See for yourself why people say, once a Camel smoker, always a Camel smoker. How mild, how mild, how mild, how mild, how mild can a cigarette be? Make the Camel 30-day test, then you'll see. Smoke Camels and see. Here's Dick Powell with a special message. Thank you. You know, it's a pleasure for me to make this weekly announcement, ladies and gentlemen, because each week the makers of Camels send gift cigarettes to a most deserving group of people, servicemen and veterans who are hospitalized. This week's Camels go to Veterans Hospitals Fargo, North Dakota, and Alexandria, Louisiana. U.S. Air Force Hospital, Randolph Air Force Base, Texas. U.S. Naval Hospital, San Diego, California. Now, until next week, enjoy camels. I always do. How mild, how mild, how mild, how mild, how mild can a cigarette be? Make the camel 30-day test and you'll see. Smoke camels and see. Tonight's adventure of Richard Diamond, starring Dick Powell, was written by Blake Edwards with music by Frank Worth. Our director is Helen Mack. Featured in tonight's cast were Virginia Gregg, Arthur Q. Bryan, and Wilms Herbert. Men, whether you buy the handy pocket tin or the big one-pound tin of Prince Albert, you're in for real smoking joy. P.A.'s Choice Tobacco has a rich taste and delightful natural aroma. It's specially treated to ensure against tongue bite. And it's crimp cut for smooth, even, cool smoking. Get Prince Albert, the National Joy Smoke, America's largest selling smoking tobacco. Listen next week for another exciting transcribed adventure of Richard Diamond, starring Dick Powell. And that's the Caspery case on Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell from February 2nd, 1951. Also in the cast, Virginia Gregg, Arthur Q. Bryant, Wilms Herbert, Ted DeCorsia, and William Conrad, sponsored by Camels and Prince Albert Tobacco, as heard over ABC. After this short break, I'll give you our lineup for Episode 7 of Retro Radio Theater. Hi everyone, this is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. 
Join me, listen now, search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform. Next time on Episode 7 of Retro Radio Theater, it's two Western radio episodes, Fort Laramie and the Cisco Kid, so don't miss it. Follow us wherever you listen to podcasts or visit us on SeniorResource.com, your number one source for retirement planning, caregiving tips, and living your best. Retro Radio Theater is a copyrighted series produced by yours truly, Carl Amari, for Retro Entertainment. Mike Costella is the executive producer. We invite you to support this podcast by joining the Classic Radio Club. Members receive 10 classic radio shows via digital download or on five CDs each month, along with historical liner notes. Learn more at ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535. That's 815-900-7535. See you next time, and thanks for listening. Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors from fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick me up for your days. Join me. Listen now. Search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.